All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 8th day of December 2020. I do uh, want to remind you that I publish a letter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Its focus, its primary focus is on uh, is on gold exploration companies and gold producers to a lesser extent. We also cover a few other things in the technology sector, mostly to do with materials technology, and we do have some interesting stories along those lines as well that I'm telling my subscribers about. Anyway, uh, to sign up for my letter, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Call our office here in New York if you'd like to do it that way, 718 457 1426, 718-457-1426. Also like to, uh, to encourage you to consider Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com. Chen is really, uh, has really, uh, really developed a specialization in the biotech sector, and he's got some very exciting things uh, that, he, that he's talking to his subscribers about. Chenpicks.com for Chen, and we always like to remind you of Michael Oliver, who will be with me in a, in a moment to talk about his ideas of the, what's going on in the markets, and it's uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to sign up for Michael's excellent letter, the best technical letter that I have ever subscribed to. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and also encourage you to send your questions or comments Whatever you have to say about this show, good, bad, or indifferent, send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. And our sponsors for today, who are are responsible for making this show possible, Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Cassier Gold Corp, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining Corp. I've titled today's show, Coping with a New World Order. Richard Mayberry, Michael Oliver, as I just said, will be with us, and Marco Rock will return today. Um, Marco, uh, Marco will be with me in the second segment. The fourth turning of America began around 2008 when, according to Edward Snowden, American intelligence services began spying on Americans rather than exclusively on foreign adversaries. And we now know that intelligence services were spying on American on an American president who was chosen by the American people in 2016. To the deep state, the forces of democracy become problematic when American citizens laid claims to the power granted to them by the Constitution, which made elected polit- political leaders subservient to the people rather than the people being slaves of the state. And Donald Trump, in some ways, I believe, got in the way of those elites who have come to view 
the American people as being really just too stupid to have any any democratic voice. And so we must be told to stay locked down and wearing masks and to blindly follow the dictates of our leaders, no matter whether there is scientific evidence or not. Just shut up and do what they say. Donald Trump stood up for the folks in flyover country, I believe, to a great extent. And that was a problem. Again, that was a problem for the elite who have increasingly over time defied the Constitution and as such had to be uh, felt that Mr. Trump had to be removed from office by hook or by crook. Was there interference in the 2020 election, as was claimed to be in the 2016 election? Well, since uh, Mr. Biden won the election, there, there apparently is no concern of any Russian interference. Neither is there any concern about the president-elect's policies. For the media and the elite, all is well again with the world. No more gotcha questions from the media for this president-elect or for vice president-elect Kamala Harris. So Americans are now in the process, I believe, of losing the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is no longer the people who are in charge. It is the military-industrial complex and all the elites that surround them in the universities and the major media. Given that American version of fascism is what I believe is appearing, uh, it seems to be gaining a foothold in the U.S. I want to talk to Rick Mayberry for a historical perspective of what is taking place here and also how he thinks we need to prepare ourselves for dealing with growing tyrannical power that is gaining a foothold in removing our God-given freedoms from us. Those issues and more we'll talk to Rick about in the second half of today's show in just a few minutes. As I mentioned, Marco Rock of Cassier Gold Corp. will be with us. Um, and uh, interesting enough, uh, well, he's going to talk to us about uh, the, the company's first drill holes, drill results. They were quite good. I did pre-record Marco le- late last week, and so uh, he won't. you won't hear his comments on some excellent results that came out this morning, some of the highest grade intersections yet on the company's Taurus open pit deposit, uh, suggesting that that deposit is likely to grow well beyond the million ounces that they currently have. So very exciting news there, uh, but I will be writing about it this weekend in my newsletter for sure and updating my subscribers about the good news that came out. But listen to what uh, Marco has to say because it is a very exciting story. It is a company that's building a, a very significant, I think, will be a very significant gold resource already over a million ounces uh, in northern British Columbia. Uh, but uh, So Marco will be with me in the second segment right after our commercial break, but I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is here now uh, to share his thoughts uh, about the markets that you should be paying most of your attention to. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. It's really always good to have you with us, and uh, I just want to find out what you're saying. We're seeing gold showing some strength now in the last uh, number of trading sessions. Um, are we? What are your thoughts on gold now? Have we broken through any any ceilings that need to be broken through yes, to see higher have. prices? Yes, we have. Um, first off, the context was we peaked in August in silver and gold, okay, and then we spent SEP, OC, and NOVE basically up, down, up, down. With a slight downward bias. Uh, in the case of gold, if you look at a front month contract chart, you'll see repeated lows either side of 1850. And then the last week in November, we plunge below there. Okay, so if you're, pardon me, an idiot price chartist and you got a ruler and a crayon, you drew a line through 1850 and said, oh my gosh, the, the floors come out. Uh huh. 
Okay, now that's a price chart, and that's, again, why we don't emphasize price charts. At that point in time, our weekly momentum, uh, we measure price versus a three-week average, and we also impose standard deviation bands on it because they give us some information. And the standard deviation band, the upper band, dropped below the zero line that week. The last time that occurred was in March at the March low. If you recall what happened after that low, gold exploded. In other words, it was a false sell-off. It got oversold and immediately yanked itself back up. Well, so far, gold's done precisely the same thing. It's cleared the 1850 level. We're trading around 1870, 1880 right now. Um, Silver, very similar but even firmer than gold. It made a low the first week after its high in August. It collapsed from almost $30.00 down to $23.58 the next week. So a very sharp initial drop. And then it went sideways, up and down, up and down, in a range that was slightly below that $23.58 three different times. In other words, if you reference that first low as, as a point, you didn't want to get back below. Well, you got back below it in September, October, and again in November. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those punches below that prior price low mm-hmm. could hold. They didn't. Mm-hmm. If you were to put yourself in a bear's position, you sell it, you take out a prior low, and you think, oh, boy, I'm on my way. And next thing <laughs> you know, it's back up again. Well, silver's now back up, you know, pushing toward 25. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also behaving in the same way that gold is, namely that it's tired of this corrective, protracted uh, process of selling that doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it flips back up, the flip, which so far is sharp, We'll get even sharper. Uh, we've got a number on silver. It's about 50 cents above today's high, uh, 2536 to be precise, but that number will change next week. It'll drop mm-hmm. a bit. If you get there, I think silver will blast back to the highs. Uh, gold has already crossed that one hurdle. I told you that 1850 level, which was a floor. It broke below. It immediately got back above. If you get gold back up into, the, let's say, 1930 zone, and if you look at a price chart, that doesn't mean too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get back up to about 1930, I think they're going to blow gold right through the old high, the 2070 high. And you're so, saying that on the basis of your momentum work? On basis on, on my momentum action and even, mm-hmm. even the price charts, mm-hmm. which I think have been misleading to so many people. Mm-hmm. So I do, like, I do like what I'm seeing in gold. Now, on the periphery, <laughs> there's a, a market that we, we actually consider to be less important to, in, than gold and that's the dollar. Mm-hmm. I know most people look at the dollar as, well, if the dollar does this, gold will do that. Well, that's not yeah. true. Gold's been long around as money a lot longer than the fiat currency called the dollar. Mm-hmm. And if I had to put one in a priority of importance, it would be gold in terms of its legitimacy, stability, etc. But the dollar has now broken virtually, no, not virtually, it's broken every structure we can define long-term trend, and it recently broke below 91, this dollar index now. By trading 91 during this year, it basically said, that's it, you're likely next in the next handful of months drop to at least 85 area as the next phase of the drop. This should help gold. Mm -hmm. Um, not Not that the dollar is essential for gold's trend, because look what gold's done. While the dollar went sideways, up, down, up, down, up, down since 2015, in about a 15-point range of up and down moves that really were non-trending, gold doubled its price. 
went from a 1054 low to a 2070 high and didn't need any help from a weak dollar. Now mm-hmm. it's got a weak dollar. So we think that will be added wind yeah. at the back of gold. Uh, and a weak dollar, I would think, uh, should put some wind at the backs of the commodity sector. What are you seeing there, is specifically yeah, your Bloomberg Commodity a consensus Index? consensus of upturn. Consensus of upturn. In other words, it's, uh, oil is turned, as far as we're concerned. Uh, the grains, soybeans, corn, wheat, copper, sugar, even platinum, you know, uh, which we don't consider a monetary metal, a precious metal. It's turned decisively. So mm-hmm. there's a chorus of commodities that have no linkage to one another that are all within weeks and months of each other turning up. And we think this is uh, what we expected, that mm-hmm. the Bloomberg Commodity Index would make its turn. And we think now that the smart investors, not just gold bugs, but the smart investors who are, look at risk-reward potentials will perceive the U.S. stock market as higher risk, less reward, and the commodity category is less risk, more reward. And therefore, mm-hmm. will flow more of the funds that the central banks are creating into that new arena and uh, provide wind at the back of the commodities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people think, um, you know, who needs gold? I've got stocks. Stocks uh, just keep going up. But I know uh, Jim Rickards pointed out recently they thought that way in Germany, too, when they had the hyperinflation. Everybody said, who needs gold? We've got the stock market is going up. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, wasn't going up in real purchasing power. So when people well, finally Well, Ray yeah. made that point. He banged the table about a month or six weeks ago and mm-hmm. it caught my attention because he's not a gold bug at all. No. He's probably one nope. of the biggest hedge fund managers in the world. And he said, listen, investors, you're stupid if you don't realize that quit looking at the price of your stock. Mm-hmm. Look at what's happening to the money supply. Mm-hmm. Your pri- the price of your stock is measured in a piece of paper. They're, they're doubling the, the supply every year now, not every yeah. decade. So mm-hmm. pay attention to that fact. It will cause a crisis over the next five years. And our only disagreement with that conclusion of his is that we think the crisis will largely be upon us in 2021. Yeah. Well, as the late Ian McAvity once said, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold. A barrel of oil is a barrel of oil. What is a dollar? And I think the point is well taken uh, from what you were just saying there. You know, what are you measuring something against? And the best barometer of measuring anything long term is certainly an ounce of gold because that is money that can't be created out of thin air. Uh, Lord knows the people that follow the stocks that I that I look at, the companies that are looking to find gold and then bring it out of the ground, the amount of effort and science and energy that's required to do that, oh boy, it doesn't take anything to change some digits on the computer, does it, and create trillions and trillions of more dollars, and it looks like that's where we're headed, Michael, and Mm -hmm. um, so I think you've got to try to protect yourself as best you can by, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have excess savings, and an awful lot of Americans aren't these days. I really worry about what's going to happen to this country, Michael, and the people that are hurting so badly with these small businesses being shut down and everything. Um, I guess there's a reason why you escaped to a rural area of Colorado, huh? <laughs> well, I think it's there's some things you can't help. I think we're literally in, uh, I've said this before, in part three of Atlas Shrugged right now, where it, mm-hmm. it's coming apart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's good, because it's uh, bad stuff coming apart, yeah. like the collapse of the yeah. Soviet Union. Um, and I think that you can't change it. Therefore, the best thing to do is not be hurt by it, is avoid that as best you can. As best you can, right. It. 
and mm-hmm. I think you can benefit from it via being in commodity assets, uh, commodity-related yeah. assets. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we try to do uh, is help people see what, what might be coming using uh, history as a guide. And, um, you know, we'll be talking about history later in the show when Richard Mayberry is with us. He's a great historian, uh, economic historian. He'll be talking to us about that. And you are, too, of course. Uh, but you use your technology, your technical indicators, which are so helpful to so many of our listeners. Michael, and I want to thank you again for being with us once more. You, and we'll have to do it again in a couple of weeks. So take care. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. As I mentioned, Marco Rock of Cassier Gold will be with me. I'll be right back with Marco. Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GLDC. Its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road-accessible gold property with an NI43-101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near-surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Mark Marco Rock. He is the CEO and director of Cassier Gold Corp. He has had a very rich background in the financial world, uh, having worked with a large Portuguese bank, with Barclays Capital as well, and um, a very strong academic background as well, having higher education in Hong Kong and, and, and Portugal and in London, the London School of Business. So his a very well-rounded background, a very strong work background as well. And uh, he is, is, is really great to have him with us. Again, before I say hello to Marco, I should just tell you that the stock trades in Toronto under the symbol GLDC. You can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol CGLCF. It's 54.3 million shares at a half a dollar in Canadian money giving it a market cap of about $27 million. So it's still a baby. It's very much a baby, but with a lot of uh, a lot of upside potential, which is why I own the stock and why I have it in my newsletter 
uh, one of my favorites there. So thank you for joining me again, Marco. Thank you for having me, Jay. It's really good to talk to you. Uh, I'm speaking to you. You're in Hong Kong today. Uh, I guess that's where you're doing business these days, but you have a very strong uh, a very strong management team, and I want to get to that before we finish today's discussion. Uh, but you've been working on your Taurus project, and as we've talked about the last time we had you on, you have roughly a million ounces of gold there, grading 1.43 grams per ton with a, seven, a 0.7 gram per ton cutoff. That's a, a near-surface, open-pitable target. It's a good start, for sure. Um, and I know that you've been working on that to, I think, to do some infill, to up, to verify the numbers, and also to perhaps expand it a little bit. Um, I want to get to the really exciting stuff, which I think is the high-grade uh, targets that you have south of the Taurus project. But maybe you could just fill us in on, on, on the progress of your Taurus drill program this year. Your, your objective on that project this year uh, was simply to do what I said, to expand the resource a bit and to confirm uh, the resource that was there uh, previously. So how are things going? And I know that you put out a, a couple of reports, several drills. Uh, what are you seeing and, and what are you learning so far from the results you've got with this year's drill program? Thank you, Jay. Uh, well, it's uh, it's been quite uh, quite positive and uh, and very exciting uh, uh, our work uh, during the summer uh, at uh, our uh, bulk tonnage deposit at Taurus. So, uh, as as you mentioned, the uh, drill results and the drill program were very much uh, designed to confirm and expand uh, our uh, confirm our historical results and expand uh, uh, our uh, um, uh, resource base, uh, which we've. Uh, you know, uh, we are doing basically so far. Uh, we've already released two batches of drill results. Um, all of them, all of the, the the 14 drill holes we've released so far came in mineralized uh, as expected. We had uh, very very nice uh, intercepts, um, mineralization coming from surface. Again, confirming the uh, the nature of our deposit of having uh, almost uh, no overburden. We have mineralization coming from five six seven eight meters so almost no overburden uh, we're confirming the historical results which is great to see we are uh, getting uh, uh, quite lengthy intercepts as well uh, given this is an open pitable deposit you want you like it's good to see the consistency over very long you know 20 30 40 50 meters uh, so we're also seeing that and uh, we're also uh, actually extending the resource in areas that were previously uh, undrilled uh, where we have gaps in the resource um there's a particular gap that's 150 by 150 uh, meters that uh, will uh, basically also add to the resource coming right from surface and uh, you know uh, you know going going quite quite deep as well down to you know roughly 150 meters we're also getting extensions at depth uh, in some places lateral extension so uh, it's really exciting. Uh, we're adding ounces, um, and uh, we're, we're very happy with the program, and we still have one batch of drilled results coming. Yeah, I think something I saw something like 10 drill holes yet that have yet to be reported on. Any idea when we might expect those? Yeah, those are very likely coming out on the 8th of December. So oh, okay, just a couple On the 8th of, days. of December, exactly. Uh, we'll have uh, the probably the full picture uh, of this drill campaign, and, uh, and uh, as I said, we're, we're very, very happy with what we've seen so far, and uh, I'm 
actually already thinking and very excited about how this may impact our overall resource size as well as the confidence. Do you expect to update your resource after this drill program or, or not? And also, I, I have to ask you whether you might think you might do some economics on it. I know you have a lot of other very exciting things you might want to pay attention to as well. It's kind of nice to know you have over a million ounces, and you'll verify that, no doubt, probably expand it a bit. It's nice to have that in your back pocket, but I know the real excitement, what got me excited about the story, are the higher-grade targets to the south. But do you expect maybe an updated resource after this drill program? Yeah, I, th- I think so. So that, that's definitely in the plans um on the uh, on the updated resource, so I think we, we've we've learned very clearly this program will allow us to add uh, you know confidence to a, a significant portion of our resource uh, as well as uh, adding ounces you know and and as as I mentioned as well before uh, because the uh, there's almost no overburden mineralization coming from surface uh, and the, uh, the 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 flat lying and shallow nature of uh, of the bulk tonnage deposits. Uh, being, you know, most of it, most of the resource being less than 100 meters deep, and we have a cutoff grade of 0.7, which is surrounded by infrastructure. Uh, we'll we'll probably do a resource up, uh, update, and and also uh, we'll probably drop that cutoff grade, which is, uh, in my opinion, in this gold price environment, unfairly high. Uh, I would be surprised if we keep the the, the cutoff grade at or above 0.5. Uh, so so that's definitely in the cards. In, in your question about the, econo- the economic studies, it's an interesting one. It's, it's a debate that we've been having internally. As of now, we, we have a million ounces, and, and this program, you know, I, I would like to see it, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting closer to a million and a half. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll uh, necessarily get there with the drilling that uh, we've uh, we'll be releasing uh, this year. You know, we'll we'll need to uh, to do the exercise of, of updating the resource and see. How you know all the grades uh, you know uh, add up? How how everything stacks up? Uh, but uh, uh, you know that's kind of our uh, target there uh, for for the for the short term. So, but you know in in any case, uh, uh, depending on where we, we land on the bulk tonnage size of our resource at the end of this drilling campaign, you know our our high grade component will still be uh, very small because. Only starting Q2, we'll start to drill the, the high-grade wool and quartz veins. And uh, that, depending uh, how, how much can we start to uncover from that high-grade system, can dramatically change uh, the composition and, and the outlook of our uh, project and uh, economics. Uh, because if you start adding half a million, a million, or more ounce, you know, high-grade ounces, you know, this 15 to 25 gram per ton, the dramatic, the economics changed dramatically, and and you know uh, we're not sure we want to be pinned down to economic study that uh, doesn't include a substantial amount of those high-grade ounces when we are very excited and, and quite confident that uh, we might find a substantial amount of those ounces. Yeah, I don't blame you for that at all because uh, if you, you know, if you identify yourself as a as a million ounce or 1.5 million ounce deposit, then people are going to think of you in those terms. Uh, yeah, I think uh, if you can start to have some great success with your high-grade veins down there uh, to the south of the Taurus, that, that would really start to get investors excited. I know that that is, you know, just looking at some of your illustrations on the website, 
There's an abundance of east-west trending veins that you've identified that you know about, some of which have been mined to a certain extent. These veins probably go to great depth. It is an orogenic system, as I understand it, and and that means that there's probably something deeper. Are you uh, are your geologists looking at, at I'm sure they're looking at the whole picture down there, you mm-hmm. know, trying to determine how to set up a drill program. So would you be able to comment a little bit about what your plans are in 2021 for drilling into this high-grade, these high-grade uh, vein system? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you mentioned, that uh, that uh, that system uh, is uh, is high-grade. So uh, the veins there are you know relatively well understood because uh, they have been mined uh, in the you know mostly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, these are two to three meter thick veins, uh, 15 to 25 gram per ton kind of material, quite quite high grade. Uh, these systems are typically, these orogenical systems are uh, typically uh, very large. So you typically have, uh, you know, uh, systems that can go for kilometers literally uh, down into the earth, uh, and they're typically stacked. Uh, uh, you know, these these veins are typically stacked around these, uh, you know, uh, parallel uh, mafic units. Uh, with uh, you know vertical and subvertical you know links between them, so you know and, and the old timers only really scratch the surface. Um, so our our team is uh, working quite hard in in um, in preparing for the drill campaign next year. Our plan is to start drilling there in Q2 uh, as soon as the weather allows, because you know it's a it's a more alpine part of our property. Um, uh, so uh, you know weather uh, is in a, is a consideration. Um, so we'll probably start drilling there around uh, April or May. Uh, at the moment, uh, uh, the team is refining uh, the the geological model and, and preparing to do some uh, some geophysics uh, as well as some additional work to to start uh, uh, honing into uh, our drill targets. Uh, but as you said, you know we've uh, we actually already have uh, several veins identified that you know were identified by our by our previous operators and are still there, and that's where we're going to be starting. Uh, so we're we're not starting blind. Uh, we know where uh, some of the veins are. So we'll work our way out uh, and down into the into the system. And uh, and uh, so uh, we had the tiger by the tail. Uh, you need just uh, need to work our way uh, down. Down to the tiger. You got to find yeah, the tiger exactly. now. So you'll start probably start drilling around April and May. And I imagine that you'll be putting out something regarding your drill program as that is all sort of finalized, in terms of the geology and and the prospects. Uh, you'll probably be putting something out in the in, early in the new year, I suppose. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, and I, th- I think this is really an exciting story. I'm really glad that, that you're here to talk about it. I, I want to ask you just with a, with a minute or so left here, um, you know, successful mining projects really do require a lot of science. Most people don't realize how much science goes into an exploration program and then into an advanced project and so forth. But could you just take a minute to comment on your team? Because you have the financial background, the ability to raise money, uh, and that's very important. But ultimately, uh, the ability to put that money to work efficiently requires you to have good scientists and maybe just quickly talk about the technical strength of your team. Absolutely. It, it is, in my opinion, the most important component of our, uh, you know, of our venture. Uh, you know, raising, raising money is relatively easy. Uh, in this market. Uh, in this market, for sure, yeah. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, but but you know, there's no point uh, raising money if uh, if you don't have a team that uh, knows uh, what to do with it. And and uh, we are very very fortunate to have uh, an amazing technical team. We have uh, uh, Doug Kerwin as our chief technical advisor. Uh, he has uh, won multiple awards. He has uh, numerous successes under his belt. Uh, uh, what is uh, you know m uh, more famous, uh, mostly famous for discovering the Ugodome deposit at Oyu Tolgoi that. Uh, made Ivanhoe Mines and was uh, later sold to, to Rio Tinto. More recently as well, uh, we were able to add, uh, uh, roughly three, four weeks ago, we were able to add uh, David Rees uh, to our technical advisory team. David Rees is a, is a structural geologist. He's actually one of the foremost uh, orogenic gold experts uh, in the world. We are really, really lucky to, to, to be able to, to add them and to be, to be quite honest, Uh, kudos to, to Doug for, for being able to convince uh, uh, David Rees to join. Uh, and I think also the fact that uh, I can see that uh, uh, with the level of involvement that uh, Dave has already had in the last few weeks, I'm really, really impressed. And, uh, and the reason is as well probably is uh, David has worked in this project 12 years ago. Uh, so, so he does know the asset quite well. And uh, probably his excitement about the project uh, also was part uh, of the reason that we were able to secure him. Uh, you know, Chris Stewart was one of our board members was just commenting how hard uh, he was, uh, he, he, you know, it is to, to secure someone like David Rees. Uh, he is, uh, he's coveted by some of the largest uh, Uh, companies in in the world in this space, and uh, you know we are really really lucky to have them. And All then right. uh, we have um, also Casey Gladwin, our VP of Exploration, and James Maxwell, uh, our uh, other advisor, who've uh, you know had a lot of experience with with Sabina, uh, helping uh, Sabina coming from going from discovery all, uh, all the way to over five million ounces. So. Uh, I, I'm really happy with our technical yeah. team, and we keep on on building it and, and adding, uh, you know, very smart and successful people that uh, really know what they're doing. And we, we can't really, uh, I, I can't really stress enough how important it is to have a capable uh, and, and successful uh, uh, technical team. All right, uh, yeah, you do have a strong team, no doubt about it. Well, we re thank you so much, Marco, for being with us. Maybe just one quick word. I guess people should be watching for the drill results yet to come from Taurus and then uh, keeping their eye on, on your guidance for what you're planning to do exploration-wise in 2021 with the higher-grade stuff. So very, very exciting, and I want to thank you again, Marco, for being with us. And, thank you uh, for having me, Jay. You bet. Uh, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Rick Mayberry will be with me, and uh, we'll be talking to Rick about a new world order and what that might mean for the monetary system and what that might mean for you as an investor. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Mayberry. America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again Rick Mayberry. He hasn't been with us for a number of months, and it's really good to have him back. He publishes a newsletter called Richard Mayberry's Early Warning Report, and the best place to go to sign up for his letter, and it's a very reasonably priced letter. I've been subscribing to it for, I think, for decades now. Uh, It's the earlywarningreport.com. Earlywarningreport.com is where you can go to sign up for Rick's Excellent newsletter, and he is uh, known as the 2,500-year-old man. No, he's not quite that old. He's, he is a senior citizen, I dare say, as am I. Uh, but uh, it, the fact is that you, he packs in the wisdom of a 2,500-year-old man, and, and he learns from history, which is something Americans seem not to care very much about these days. Uh, we don't seem to care much, and those of us who have lived a number of decades, though, do have some history in our rear view mirrors that we can relate to what's going on these days. Uh, so, but I'm really happy to have Rick with me. Thanks for joining me again, Rick. Oh, thanks for having me on, Jay. I always enjoy talking with you. It's, uh, it's great to talk with somebody who's trying to give the public some alternative to the mainstream media, which is so heavily socialist. Um, and so, you know, thank you very much for me personally for doing a good job of giving people the uh, another side of the story besides the mainstream press. Well, thank you, Rick. And you know, it is a, a side of the story that was much more familiar when we were young people. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that free markets and people being free and having liberty uh, and a limited government, and the idea that uh, we uh, that, that that we were created to be free. Uh, and make choices. And uh, I think the more that we are protected by government, the more we rely on government, the less we rely on our own gifts and talents and brains to think things through and and do things for ourselves. But anyway, uh, in my opening remarks today, I talked about America moving towards socialism. And I noted that some of the most notable, brutal dictators in the past were socialists. People like Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot were all socialists. I know some people maybe look at Hitler, they say, well, no, there's a complete difference. Hitler was a fascist, a socialist, you're good, fascist or bad, but there really isn't all that much difference in my view from what I see if you examine the policies of Hitler as opposed to a Stalin. Maybe one was more on the, on the racist side, but, but other than that, anyway, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Uh, to what extent, and a lot of people now, especially on the Democrat, extreme Democrat left, and you see this on the Internet, people really, they equate our current president to Hitler, uh, and then that seemingly gives them, you know, the, the ends justifies the means. My goodness, if we've got a Hitler in the White House, we've got to get him out of there. Um, but anyway, what, what are your thoughts on the difference between fascism and communism, and, and where do we stand now as a nation in the, in the, on that spectrum? Or, you know, I used to see that we were right in the middle somewhere between the two extremes, but what are your thoughts? 
Um, I don't think we're in the middle anymore at all. I no. think practically any mainstream philosophy that you want to bring up now is is uh, is fascist, and some of those morph into socialism. But let's talk about fascism first. It's the easiest philosophy to understand. It's the original philosophy of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And a fascist believes that right and wrong, well, back up, that all truth is a matter of opinion. That's mm-hmm. the fundamental premise of fascism. All truth is a matter of opinion, which means right and wrong are just matters of opinion, and therefore power holders should do whatever appears necessary. No exceptions, no limits. Mm-hmm. Now that's fascism. The whole, All of the fascist philosophy boils down to that, mm-hmm. that right and wrong are just matters of opinion, so people with power should do whatever appears necessary. Now, what a socialist is, is a person who believes, um, according to Marx and Lenin and the other socialist uh, originators, uh, a person who believes that the world is evolving from one step to another um, and that um, it is the job of social reformers to move us in the direction of that naturally occurring sequence of events in in economics. And um, it goes, let's say, we can start with um, feudalism, uh, or it's uh, sometimes called the manor system, and Mm -hmm. then uh, you go to uh, mercantilism, and then capitalism, and then socialism, and then communism, We'll look at the word communism real quickly. Communism is regarded as the end stage of socialism. And Mm -hmm. communism is a utopian system in which uh, uh, everybody works for the good of everybody else and we all live happily ever after. (laughs) So there's been almost no case in history where communism actually was tried and worked. You might find a few religious monasteries where it's worked and maybe a Mm -hmm. few hippie communes back in the 60s. But basically, nobody's ever been able to make communism work. Um, So what happens is that somebody who is, or let's say a government that is pushing the country in the direction of socialism winds up getting stuck there because this utopian end system doesn't really exist and cannot exist. Humans mm-hmm. just don't behave that way. Mm-hmm. So there's, you're stuck with socialism, and what is socialism? Socialism is a system in which the government owns and controls everything and everybody. Now, you see a lot of fascists that go in that direction because they love the idea of the government owning and controlling everything and everybody because they want to run the world. So there's a, a very close, uh, almost a marriage, between socialists and fascists. The fascist tends towards socialist behaviors because it gives him what he wants, which is more power. And the, mm-hmm. the socialist has unlimited power. And, and you see this in what the children are taught in school. In the United States, in fact, throughout the world, the, the schools are owned or controlled by government agencies. 
all of them, and being owned and controlled by government agencies, they teach the kids that the answer to every problem is more government. And what that leads you to is socialism, where the government owns and controls everything and everybody. And um, that is essentially the direction that America is moving today, because that's what everybody's taught in school. Mm-hmm. The government is the answer to your problems. The government is your superhero. And when mm-hmm. you're in trouble, the government will come to your rescue mm-hmm. and will do good things for you. <laughs> and, and it will cost you, know, you nothing. And it will cost yeah, you nothing. Right. Yeah, we're going to make some other guy pay for it. And you won't have to pay for it. Somebody else will pay for it. And, you know, it's all a big hoax. Uh, it's uh, both socialism and fascism. They attract power junkies. Um, Americans aren't used to thinking in terms of, of uh, political power being a bad thing because no. they're taught in school that it's a good thing. And so um, they aren't really aware of, of what political power is. And political power is the legalized privilege of using brute force on people who have not harmed anyone. Mm-hmm. That's the essential nature of political power, and it has been all through history. When you find somebody who has political power, he is somebody who has the privilege of using brute force on people who haven't harmed anyone. And, and we all experience that at tax time every year. Um, mm-hmm. You're told you're going to buy what the government is selling or else. Mm-hmm. Whether it's no choice to you or not is irrelevant. You better buy it, or people with guns will come to your home and haul you away to prison. Mm-hmm. So that's what essentially political power is. Mm-hmm. It's this right of using force on people who haven't harmed anyone. Mm-hmm. I'll stop there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, no, and uh, that's, uh, that's very good. And I, I think, though, you know, you said that uh, we're not taught the dangers of powerful governments in our schools for obvious reasons is they, they are status schools and why would the uh, the people that run the country want to give up you know these people that are power junkies why would they want to give up their power so they're not going to teach people the other alternative that America was built on where they were really uh, the founders understood very well um, how dangerous it is for to have a, a you know a brute government a, a, a dictatorship running uh, running over you, and uh, as the King of England was, uh, to the colonies at least at that time. Uh, yeah. Richard, um, so we have, though, uh, we have all these really concerned people. You know, we have an organization called Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist. Now, these mm-hmm. people must certainly be doing some good work to get rid of the fascist, huh? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I... I I'm kind of nervous talking about these kinds of groups because I don't actually know the people personally. I think that, you know, this is just a guess. I don't know them personally. Just Mm -hmm. a guess that they are what Lenin is alleged to have called, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, Useful idiots. Useful idiots. Mm-hmm. And what by that, what Lenin meant was that there are huge numbers of people who will go out and uh, strive for some cause, even fight for it, even die for it, without understanding the real thinking of the people 
who are the leaders of the cause. Mm-hmm. Again, the term is useful idiots. Yeah. And uh, I really tend to think, um, I used to be a public school teacher, so did my wife. We know what goes on in public schools. And I tend to think that the public school systems all over the world, these schools owned and controlled by government agencies, are, or they have been morphed into systems for producing useful idiots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not supposed because, to think for ourselves, right? We're supposed to just uh, shut up and right. obey. So yes, uh, right. and there, and we're taught that in the schools. We're not taught any longer. Uh, our son Scott went off to uh, to a school that was the Great Books Program. Um, St. John's College in Annapolis, and there they encouraged kids to be critical thinkers of the great works of the past, and they would sit in their in their classes, and everybody was required to give their thoughts of what what was Plato really saying, what was Marx really saying, what was you know all the great thinkers of the past, mm-hmm. the philosophers, uh-huh. and so forth, and it was uh, geared towards getting people to think. That isn't wasn't my university experience so much as it was just regurgitation. You know, learn the facts and replay them for the exam, and you get your A, and you're just you're just doing just fine. Is that mm-hmm. uh, we're being programmed? It seems as a as a country not to think, to just obey. And then I wonder, with all of the COVID that's come out, with the COVID uh, problem that we have, uh, mm-hmm. it seems like an awful lot of people, at least up until now, there seems to be some pushback now, but have been willing to just shut up and obey. Mm-hmm. You've yeah, seen that, um, right? For the most part. Right. Um, I, an article that I have coming up in uh, in early warning report here in the next few weeks is about that. Um, whether or not something is a pandemic is a result of the statistics. It all mm-hmm. boils down to the statistics. How many people have to die before you call it a, a pandemic? You know, is it is it a thousand or a million or ten million or how many? And there are no medical statisticians who have any kind of agreement on what a pandemic is. Mm-hmm. All that happened was that, um, let's see, along about March, I think it was, um, the World Health Organization, which is part of the UN, which is one of the most corrupt organizations in the world, um, the World Health Organization uh, came out and said, there's a pandemic. And that was at a time when the number of Americans who had died of COVID-19 was reported at 34. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 34 dead Americans constituted a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's insane. But the, the mainstream media and the government jumped on it as if it was the God's honest truth. Mm-hmm. And they've been on it ever since. They won't admit that they keep they keep pumping this pandemic thing without knowing what a pandemic is. Nobody knows what it is. There's no agreement on what that word means. So um, the whole country has been kept in this state of fear without any reliable evidence that there really is a pandemic. Because mm-hmm. there can't be, because there's no definition, definition. of what that word means. Mm-hmm. There's a an attempt to be a definition in the... Mm-hmm the WHO's website. Yeah. Uh, there's an article there that's 680 words long that attempts to define pandemic. And all that article boils down to is 
nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, an arbitrary definition, but certainly I, I would guess that it is a serious problem. Uh, but as you pointed out before, uh, and and even the authorities have said uh, that you know we we're not absolutely sure about who, who you know people die of or be are with. Uh, COVID, yeah. you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a, even the accounting of the COVID deaths is is highly suspect, I think, and even uh, the authorities would admit to that. But Rick, I'd like to get on to uh, you know some issues regarding how people should really try to protect themselves. We have this socialist or this fascist movement where we're giving less and less uh, ability to control our own futures. We're being told what to do. We're having money taken away. I think uh, very much through the inflationary process, every time trillions more dollars are put into the system, the people that have savings in, in the stock market are getting richer and gold and silver and that sort of thing. But the vast majority of people are not in that position. Uh, but what what is your best advice? And I know that you, you, know, you do a lot of good work with regard to long-term investing. You've been very successful with your, for your subscribers in that regard. Uh, but, but just maybe... W- you know, coping with this new world order. And I think, you know, we're talking about the real goal of the elites is to have a one world government. So each each country has less and less autonomy and they want to sort of submit to a one world government. Do you mm-hmm. see that coming? Do you see that as a, as a threat? And if so, oh, then yeah. just, just sort of help us think about how average people can do what they can do to try to protect themselves as best as best they can. Well, um, one of the main things is um, uh, precious metals, um, as, as you have, um, you know, uh, explained yeah. to people many, many times. Um, the the precious metals are something that cannot be created on a printing press, like uh, political currencies can. Uh, they are uh, real money. I'm talking mostly about gold and silver, but also. Uh, platinum and palladium are moving in that direction of becoming uh, money now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I think it was a month or two ago I recommended to people that they start uh, buying uh, pla- uh, palladium. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. back up. <laughs> platinum. That I, platinum. I was recommending platinum and saying it was the bargain right now. It was the best uh, deal I could find in regards to precious metals. And sure enough, boy, it's been really moving lately. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's... And I think I think... Platinum will remain uh, the best deal for a little while here yet. I don't know, maybe a few months. It's hard to say. But that's the main thing is, is get some precious metals, you, uh, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. Uh, and at this time, my, my first choice would be uh, platinum. But, uh, you know, gold uh, especially, that's still regarded around the world as, as money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most trustworthy money because it can't be created on a printing press or electronically like is done mostly now. Um, and so that you know that's that's the main thing is is get some precious metals. I'm not saying no. turn your whole portfolio into precious metals, no. but um, ten to twenty percent in precious metal coins, um, especially in the United States. Uh, Canadian maple leaves or U.S. Eagle coins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, either one, I think, uh, are, are very, very good investments. Mm-hmm. And you've also, uh, you have done very well in the stock market, too, especially with uh, defense stocks. 
Yes, um, and I think I think they uh, are just getting started on another terror here um, because the Europeans. Uh, one of the really good things that, that uh, Trump did is he convinced the Europeans that if they are attacked, the Americans may not show up. And so that tells the Europeans they have to start spending money to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to go out and buy the stuff it takes to have a military defense, which mm-hmm. they don't have right now. Um, it's amazing how much the Europeans are, are just totally helpless. They mm-hmm. bought into this idea that U.S. politicians told them for decades and decades, look, you don't have to protect yourself. You can go ahead and spend your defense money on socialist welfare programs, and if you are attacked, we'll send American men and women over there to die protecting you. All right, Rick, we're going we're gonna to have to wrap it up now. I see that my engineer is telling me we're out of time, and it sounds like they're trying to convince uh, the world, American politicians, of the same thing that they've tried to convince Americans of. Um, there's so much more to talk to you about, so we'll have to have you back sometime soon. But I am out of time, unfortunately. Okay. And again, folks, uh, sign up for Rick's newsletter. It's really a, it's really a bargain. Um, so you need to uh, go to earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com to do so, uh, to do that. All right. Uh, thanks, Rick, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again sometime soon, I hope. Folks, that is it for yeah. this week. Next week, uh, Alistair McLeod. And Michael Hudson of Hannon Metals will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 